<clears throat> well, if you would, turn into your Bibles to Matthew 4, or Matthew, what in the world? Colossians. And uh, goodness, I have no excuses today. So Colossians 4, and we're going to look at uh, verses 12 to 14, and Paul's partners in ministry. And for those of you that weren't here last week, we uh, began our journey, and this is part two of a two-part series on his partners in ministry. Moses, Noah, Elijah, David, Solomon, the Apostle Paul, Abraham, Timothy, John, and Joseph. Have you heard of these biblical characters? Uh, Yeah, Verna's shaking her head yes. I bet each one of you have, and not only have you heard of them, I bet you, if I went around the room, that everybody could give me at least one fact about each one of these godly men. They're important men. They have exhibited great faith, and we see it written in the Word of God. Erastus, Ebulus, Pudens, Lionus, Claudia, Herodian, Apelles, Aristobulus, Persis, Rufus, who is not a dog, by the way. Have you heard of these biblical characters? They kind of have a blank stare on your face. I would venture to say that most in this room have not heard of them. And if you have heard of them, it's probably a quick reading through the Bible and probably could not give any facts pertaining to these men and their character. But are they any less important in God's eyes and in his service? Did those men serve the Lord with less zeal than the ones I mentioned previously? I think the second listing of men that I read is what we might call hidden heroes of the faith. And ladies, too often we come to their names in scripture and we gloss over them because we deem them as unessential. But if we would stop and look a little bit closer, we would find that there are great little nuggets of encouragement as we examine their lives. Now, in fact, I was thinking this morning, I was reading First Chronicles, and it talked about all of David's men that helped him to become king and how they had one heart. They didn't have a double heart. And some of these men that helped David become the great king that he was, they're probably men you've never heard of. And uh, so it was kind of an interesting read, and I thought, well, that's interesting in light of our our lesson tonight. But we did that last week. We started with the Apostle Paul and looked at his partners in ministry. We looked at Tychicus, Onesimus, Aristarchus, Mark, and Jesus, who was called Justice. And we saw that the last three, the last three of them were of Jewish birth. And I may not have made that very clear last week. Um, Grace helped me out on this. And so I wanted to uh, correct if I misled you in any way when it said these three only were a comfort to me. What he was saying was those who were of the same descent, the same Jewish birth, Aristarchus, Mark, and Jesus, who was called Justice. Uh, They were of Jewish descent, and these three men only uh, of the same race were a comfort to men. He's not saying that the others weren't, but Paul was very aware that his own countrymen uh, did not care for him and, in fact, hated him. Now, in our lesson tonight, we're going to look at three more of Paul's companions, and they were of Gentile birth. The ones we looked at last week uh, were of Jewish birth, but the ones we're going to look at tonight are of Gentile birth, Epaphras, Luke, and Demas. 
What did they contribute to the work of the Lord, and specifically, how were they of help to the Apostle Paul? So let's read the verses together, verses 12 to 14, and we'll look at these three great men. Paul says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervent for you in prayers that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him witness he has a great zeal for you and for those in Laodicea and those in Heropolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you and Demas greets you. So let's take a peer into another one of Paul's partners in ministry. His name was Epaphras. Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you, Paul says. Now, ladies, I know that we probably have to, you know, put our thinking caps on, but we looked at this man. If you remember, for those of you that have memorized the epistle to the Colossians, you'll remember that Epaphras was one of the first men we looked at way back in chapter 1, verse 7. Um, And we discovered then Epaphras was the founder of the church at Colossae. Remember, he traveled over a thousand miles to bring the Apostle Paul the news the dangerous heresy that the church had gotten into. And so when we studied that, um, the Epaphras back then in chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, uh, we read, We also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ, who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. And that was the verses 7 and 8. And remember back then, Paul spoke well of him. In fact, he said two things about him. He said he was a dear fellow servant. This meant that Paul and Timothy had a very close bond with Epaphras. They were co-laborers in the Lord. He was also a faithful minister. In fact, the word minister comes from a Greek word, if you recall, which means to labor in the dust. And we brought out then, way back in September of 2017, that again, indeed, Epaphras probably did labor in the dust because walking a thousand miles uh, from Colossae, to Rome to bring the news of the dangerous heresy the church at Colossae was in. Uh, I imagine he got a lot of uh, dust on his feet and on his shoes. Remember back then they didn't have Nike tennis shoes. So those were the things we learned. But now Paul says some other things about this man as he's closing the letter. First of all, if you'll notice, he says he's a bondservant of Christ. And before he says that, he says he's one of you. Remember last week we brought out that Onesimus. He said the same thing about Onesimus. He was one of you, which meant one of two things. He was a native of Colossae, which Epaphras was, and he was a Christian. So as we brought out last week, a Colossian Christian. Um, Secondly, Paul calls him a bondservant or a dear fellow servant. Um, The Greek word is someone who is bought with a price and owned by his master. In fact, ladies, to be a slave of Christ means that all your possession, your dreams, your goals, your energy, your time belongs completely to Christ. That's what Paul's saying about Epaphras. He's a faithful minister. Now, How did Epaphras manifest that he was a slave of Christ or a bondservant of Christ? Well, Paul mentioned already a couple of ways. We're going to look at a few more. But before he uh, brings out how he was a slave to Christ, he mentions that Epaphras sends greetings. And we brought out last week what that means. It means in our day and day, we'd say, give him a hug, tell him hello, give him a handshake. And so he's sending his greetings. So how did Epaphras manifest that he was a slave of Christ. Well, notice what he says. Paul says he is a man who labors fervently for you in prayers. So ladies, Epaphras was a man of prayer. 
And I don't know about you, but um, to me, that is an act of servanthood. When you take time to pray for others. And I'm sure that Epaphras, remember he was the pastor of the church at Colossae. He was a thousand miles away from his church, his congregation. And I'm sure, I mean, my husband and I are getting ready to board a plane tomorrow to go to Houston and uh, to see our daughter. And I know that while we are away, Doug is going to be just going crazy because he misses his congregation so much. And I'm sure he'll be praying for all of you as he does. Sometimes I go into the den and I think he's sleeping. And I say, are you okay? And he goes, yes, I'm praying. In other words, leave me alone, honey. But, um, but he might have been, Epaphras might have been tempted to be worried about the congregation. I mean, he's a thousand miles away. They're caught up in this dangerous heresy uh, called Gnosticism. In fact, one time it was funny, Doug and I went on a trip and one of, our, one of the first churches he pastored and when we got back we found out that one of the uh, deacons or elders I forget which was wanted Doug fired and they wanted the congregation to hire him so he always has that little bit of a hesitation when he leaves town but um, I'm sure Epaphras wasn't concerned about his job but he was concerned about the church a thousand miles away are they getting more caught up in heresy what's happening to my flock while I'm away from them and uh, but you know what he didn't worry you know what he did He prayed. And notice what Paul says. He prays fervently. He always has you on his mind. In fact, the word fervent means red-hot prayers. He prayed red-hot prayers for the church at Colossae. Ladies, this is laborious prayer. In fact, the word labor means to the point of exhaustion. Have you ever prayed to the point of exhaustion? Laborious prayers for someone? In fact, the word labor comes from a Greek word that they would use when they would talk about the gymnastic games of grueling competition. In fact, Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians. He says, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize. And then he says, run in a way that you can obtain it. And so that's the Greek word that Paul is using here when he's talking about Epaphras laboring in prayer for the church at Colossae. And, you know, we don't think of Epaphras like we do um, our Lord. You know, the Lord wrestled in prayer. Elijah wrestled in prayer. Jacob wrestled in prayer. But we also have this man man named Epaphras that we don't talk about much, and yet he was a man of prayer. In fact, have you ever agonized or wrestled in prayer like Elijah, like Jesus, or like Jacob did? E.M. Bounds, who has written several books on prayer and who was a man who usually prayed several hours a day, said this, There is neither encouragement nor room in Bible religion for feeble desires, listless efforts, lazy attitudes. All must be strenuous, urgent, ardent. Inflamed desires and passion, unwearied, insistent, delight heaven. God would have his children in earnest and persistent in their prayers. Heaven is too busy to listen to half-hearted prayers or to respond to pop calls. Our whole being must be in our praying. That's kind of what Paul's saying. This man Epaphras, he was red hot, fervent in his prayers and agonizing for the people at Colossae. Now, I know some people today, I meet women and uh, I remember talking to one woman one time and asked her if God answers her, answered her prayers 
And she said, well, Susan, that's a problem. And I said, what's the problem? She said, I don't pray. And I said, that's a problem. Um, How can you go through a day as a child of God and not pray? But I've met some women over the years. They say, well, I just don't have time. I don't have time to pray. Oswald Smith would have something to say about that. He says, oh, how few find time for prayer. There's time for everything else. There's time to sleep, time to eat. Time to read the newspaper, time to read novels, time to visit your friends, time for everything else under the sun, but no time for prayer, the most important of all things, the one great essential, end of quote. How true that is. Ladies, we always find time to do what we want to do, don't we? In fact, another wise man said this, you can tell how popular a church is by who comes on Sunday morning. You can tell how popular the pastor is by who comes on Sunday night. But you can tell how popular Jesus is by who comes to prayer meeting, end of quote. And I thought, that's good. You know, I think of Susanna Wesley, and uh, because I know a lot of women will give me excuses. Well, you know, Susan, I've I've got six kids, or I've got eight kids. Well, think of Susanna Wesley. This woman had 19 children, 19 children. And you know that she found an hour every day where she shut herself off. Many times she would, I pull up the skirt here, she'd pull up her skirt over her head. And, uh, and so that she could be alone with the Lord and told the children, I don't know what she told them, but uh, she wanted to be alone with the Lord for an hour a day. And so many times that's what she would do. My sisters, it's not so much a case of finding time as it is of making time. We can always find time to do what we really want to do. And I think especially we as mothers, we as grandmothers, we should be spending time on our knees, praying for our children, praying for our grandchildren. Well, Epaphras is not only a man of prayer, but Paul tells us what is included in these red-hot prayers. What does he pray for them? Notice what he says. He prays that they will stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. What does that mean? Well, the word stand means to hold up or to stay put. Ladies, this is so important. Um, I hope that when you pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ, that this is a prayer request. You pray for them, that they would stand firm. Just this last week, I found out that three of three girlfriends I have from another state are not standing. Uh, They bought into some type of heretical teaching. It grieved my heart. Uh, I've known these girls for a long, long time. Uh, we need to be praying that we will stand firm. Paul tells the church at Corinth, watch, stand f- fast, be strong, be brave, be courageous. In the sister epistle, I don't know how many times in Ephesians 6, uh, Paul tells the church at Ephesus to stand. He says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord, and the powers might put on the whole armor of God that you can stand in the in the wiles of the devil. And he talks about we don't wrestle against, against uh, flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and he says therefore take up the whole armor of god that you can stand and he says stand because on and on stand stand fast stay put don't move around don't get caught up in heretical teaching and you know even to the church that was dear to paul's heart the church he longed for the church at philippi i mean this was a church he loved they loved him you know he says to them therefore my beloved and long for my joy and crown stand fast don't move don't Get off the narrow road. And he says the same thing. I won't repeat, but in First and Second Thessalonians, he says the same thing. Stand fast. 
Ladies, we would do well to remember this command to stand fast, and we would do well to pray fervently that we and those that we know will stand fast. Um, This conference I did last weekend was really sad. The speaker they'd had the year before, she taught so much heresy at the conference last year that the pastor had to call her after she got home and confronted her. Then he had to call the churches that were represented and tell the pastors to correct the doctrine that she taught. This woman I've known for a long, long time, she has crossed the line. And now she's into all types of heretical teaching. Uh, It happens to a lot of people. But we need to be praying. In fact, she's one of the three women I pray for often that they would get away from heretical teaching. Ladies, we need to stand fast. Many in our day are not standing fast. Well, Paul goes on to write, Epaphras is not only praying they would stand, but that they would stand perfect and complete. What does that mean? In the will of God. Well, perfect means to be spiritually mature, full-grown. It has the idea of a horse that is full-grown. It's grown to maturity. Now, ladies, this does not mean we'll be sinless. You are not going to be sinless in this life. And if any of you think you are, I want to talk to your husband after Bible study tonight because I know he'd tell me something different. But, um, but it means that we're mature. We stand fast. We're perfect, mature, and complete, which means to bear or bring to full, to carry to the end. In other words, we stand fast to the end. We persevere. Genuine Christians persevere to the end. And uh, many of my friends that are dropping like flies and many others I read about uh, in the news or online that are dropping, I have to look at my Bible and I have to look at what God says, that those who are truly his children, they're steadfast to the end. They don't apostatize. Well, Epaphras prays they'll be complete, which means to bear, bring full, to carry through to the end. And you know, Epaphras desired the same thing that Paul and Timothy desired. Remember back in Colossians chapter 1, Paul said, Him we preach and teach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may what? Present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. That was Paul's desire. That was Timothy's desire. And that was Epaphras's desire. They wanted the church at Colossae to stand fast and be complete. Don't fall into the dangerous heresy. Um, in fact, it's interesting that all three of these men labor to the point of exhaustion for the church at Colossae. Now, Paul adds here that this standing perfect and complete is in the will of God. Ladies, do you know that's God's will for your life? It is God's will for you as his daughter to stand fast, to stay steadfast to the end, to not get caught up in false teaching like many are in our day. Now, this would be a very important thing that Epaphras would pray for the church. Why? Because the Gnostics had another plan for them, right? Do you remember the warning that Paul gave in chapter 2? Beware beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy, empty deceit, according to the tradition of men and not of God. The the Gnostic, the false teachers were trying to draw the the church away from sound teaching to false teaching and get them caught up in philosophy, asceticism, mysticism, all those things that we looked at when we were in chapter 2. But Epaphras, the pastor, man, he's praying fervently, don't follow the false teachers. Follow the will of God. 
Don't be swayed by Gnostic thinking. And ladies, I would encourage you in our day, be careful what you read. Uh, Don't be swayed by what you read, by what you hear. Measure everything up with this book. And if it doesn't line up, don't listen to it. Um, Remember, Satan wants to steal, kill, and destroy you. And he will do anything he can, even send false teachers to do it. Ladies, if you follow dangerous heresy, you will not stand. You will fall. You will lack spiritual maturity, and you will risk the danger of becoming apostate. Well, Paul goes on to give a little more information regarding Epaphras in verse 13. He says, I bear him witness he has a great zeal for you and for those in Laodicea and those in Heropolis. Paul says, I bear him witness. In other words, I've heard this man pray. I'm here to tell you, I witnessed this man on his knees praying fervently for you. And uh, he has an abundant pain for you. He has zeal for you, a zeal that has left him fatigued, and he's labored outwardly and inwardly. And not only is this zeal just for the church at Colossae, but two other churches, the church at Heropolis and the church at Laodicea. Remember we brought out in our first lesson, Laodicea and Heropolis were very close geographically to the church at Colossae, and we brought out then, and I'll bring it out again because I know it's hard to remember everything we've learned this year, but it would be like us living here in Tulsa, Oklahoma, which I believe is not the Bible Belt, it's the heresy capital of the world, and we have a lot of prosperity teachers that live here. They teach the word of faith movement, which is that Christ died to make us healthy, wealthy, and anything else, you know, have your best life in this life. And so because of that, we are in a, we are at risk. We are in danger because most of the churches in Tulsa are of that vein. And so Epaphras and Paul and Timothy had a, had a concern, not just for the church at Colossae, but for the church at Laodicea and Heropolis because they were so close geographically, and so more than likely, they would be impacted with the same heretical teachings. And so Epaphras was a man who had a great heart for the needs and concerns of others, not just the people in his own church. In fact, uh, history tells us he actually could have founded the church at Laodicea and the church at Heropolis at well. And so uh, he was very concerned for these three churches. Now, Epaphras is not the only one who wishes to send his greetings, but Paul mentions two more men in verse 14, two more partners in ministry, Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas. So the next Gentile that Paul mentions is Luke. And uh, we know from this verse that Luke is a physician. He calls him a beloved physician. Uh, The Greek word is iatros, which means a healer. Uh, Luke could have been a surgeon, Uh, because this Greek word could entail that he was either a surgeon or that he distributed medication of some sort. We don't know a lot about Luke's background. It has been said, according to church history, that he and Titus were perhaps brothers. Uh, We also know that he knew the Apostle Paul when he was a student at Tarsus, so we know that that they knew each other then. Um, It's also been suggested that Luke looked after Paul like a Uh, a personal doctor. In fact, if you recall Paul's first missionary journey, uh, he was very sick and to the point that on the second missionary journey, he took Luke with him, kind of like a personal physician. And so, you know, Paul was not a very healthy man. 
In fact, I really believe without Luke's help, uh, Paul probably would have never been able to have carried the load that he had. I mean, we looked last week at all the things that Paul did and the heavy uh, missionary load that he had, and so he had a personal physician with him, which would help him with all of his uh, physical problems that he had. Uh, We also know about Luke. He wrote two New Testament books. You know what they are, right? Luke, right? Luke and uh, Acts. He wrote both of those. And uh, he also went on Paul's third missionary journey, and he was also on that ship that we talked about last week where there was 276 passengers, and they had to throw everything overboard because uh, it looked like it was going to wreck. Um, He was not only a doctor, but he was also an evangelist, and I find that refreshing um, because Dr. Luke did not allow his profession of ministering to the sick to hinder his higher and divine calling of ministering the gospel to the lost. And I remember in my husband's first pastorate that we had an elder who was also a doctor. And every time I'd go see Dr. Nunley, instead of asking me what was my physical problem, why I was there, uh, he would ask me how my spiritual life was. And I thought he was very wise to ask me that because Dr. Nunley knew that many times we're sick because of spiritual issues. And so uh, I really appreciate that about him. He did not let his vocation keep him from the most needful task at hand, the spiritual welfare of others. And even thinking about that now, that was the time that God saved me, uh, was during that season when we lived in Pryor, and he was the doctor that when I was in the hospital for two weeks and then six more weeks at home, um, was my caregiver, and that was the time that I bowed the knee to Christ. And uh, knowing that man and how godly he is, I bet he could see right through me and knew that I was a big hypocrite and probably prayed for my soul. So I'm thankful for Dr. Nunley. But ladies, um, Luke's life is a lesson for each of us, and that is this. Don't let your profession in this world keep you from professing the name of Christ to those that you come in contact with, no matter what your vocation is. Uh, Use your vocation as an opportunity for the gospel and to be a blessing to others. And so we certainly can learn a lot from Dr. Luke. Well, there's one more man that Paul mentions that would like to send greetings, and that's the third helper, Gentile helper. His name is Demas. Uh, Demas was a partner of Paul who would later desert him. Remember, Paul says, Demas fell in love with the present world and has forsaken me. Uh, a tragic statement about Demas. Um, in fact, uh, the writing of Colossians and then in Second Timothy when Paul says, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, uh, only Luke now is with me, that was seven years later. So from Colossae, sometime between when Paul, he was with Paul there in Colossae, and he writes, Demas is sending greetings. He was working with the Apostle Paul. Then when he writes Second Timothy, and he says, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. Only Luke is with me. So Luke hung out. He stood fast to the end, but not Demas. Now, we can only surmise what happened to Demas, but I've wondered if perhaps he got caught up in the Gnostic heresy. Um, we don't know. Church history does not tell us. But, you know, ladies, don't be discouraged by the Demases in your life. Um, Jesus had Judas. Paul had Demas. I think of David. Uh, He had Ahithophel. Uh, Even his own son Absalom betrayed him. And so I've been in the ministry long enough 
there are those types of people. Uh, they will work alongside you in ministry, and then they don't. And our last church, the lady that works side by side with me in the women's ministry, she, she said, Susan, I would walk on glass for you. And I thought, wow, you know, I'd known that lady since I was in junior high. And she was my Sunday school teacher in junior high. And I thought, well, that was a really, I mean, I don't think I'd walk on glass. For, I mean, sorry, I love you girls, but I'm sorry, I don't think I'd walk on glass for you. But I, maybe I would, I don't know. But uh, then two weeks later, she took that glass and stabbed me in the back. And that was the end of our relationship. So, um, you know, don't be surprised at those things. Uh, many great men and women, and even our Lord, had those who abandoned him. And forsook him. In fact, all the disciples forsook him and fled, right? And so don't be discouraged. Despite the pain during those times, we have the Lord, right? And he's enough. Isn't that what we've been learning in Colossians? Christ is sufficient. We have the Lord. That's what we've been singing about, right? All I have is Christ. And so we have the Lord, and he is enough. So we've looked at eight men in the past two lessons. Men that were of help to the Apostle Paul. Men that were his companions in the work of the Lord. And as we close, I want to give you a principle that you can learn from each of these men. All eight of these men that we've looked at. And they start with the letter S. So, you know, I am about that. But anyway, maybe that'll help you. The first one we looked at last week was Tychicus. A man with a servant's heart. He was a servant. He traveled over a thousand miles to deliver letters. And may I add that he traveled with a runaway slave? He was willing to encounter dangers on Paul's behalf as travel in those days was quite difficult and dangerous. Are you a Tychicus? Do you have a servant's heart? Are you willing to do menial tasks and without complaining? Secondly, there was Onesimus, the man with a sinful past. Onesimus is a reminder to us of God's grace in our life that he would reach down and save any of us who were dead in our trespasses and sins. Are you grateful to God for the fact that he has rescued you from slavery to sin and set you free? Thirdly, we had Aristarchus, the man with a sympathetic heart. He was a fellow prisoner with Paul. He accompanied Paul on his journey and was seized by the rioting mob in Acts 19. Would you go the extra mile for a friend? Would you suffer the same persecution with them if God so called you to do so? Or would you shrink at the thought of it? The fourth man was Mark. He was the man with a second chance. In the beginning, it looked like Mark would never make it in the ministry. Remember, Paul and Barnabas had a sharp contention about it. It looked like this man was going nowhere Paul refused to take him along on a missionary journey with him. But something happened in Mark's life that changed, and he grew up spiritually so much so, Paul says, hey, bring him to me. He's useful now. You know, ladies, Mark encourages me that next year I will be different than I am today. I will be more like my Lord next year. The tasks that you would not think of entrusting me with now, perhaps you might then next year. Do you give the marks in your life second chances? Are there Christians you have written off as too immature? Have you visited with them lately and examined the changes in their life? Will you give them a second chance? Then the fifth man that we looked at last week is Jesus, or Justice, a man with a strong commitment. He was a Jew. 
and yet he was willing to leave his people to identify with Paul. He was willing to make a strong commitment on the behalf of Christ. To do so would have meant he probably was ostracized from his family. Are you willing to make stands for Christ that might make divisions in your earthly relationships? Do you love God more than you love your family members? The sixth one was the one we had tonight, Epaphras, a man with a single passion. He was the founder of the church at Colossae. He journeyed to Rome from Colossae to bring Paul the news of the Gnostics' heresy that crept into the church. He had a deep concern for those caught up in heresy. His prayers were red hot for them. Is God calling you to be an Epaphras for our day? Will you be the one who will intercede for others on behalf of those caught up in false teaching? Will you be the one who will be zealous for Christ's sake? And then there's Dr. Luke, the man with a specialized talent. Luke was Paul's personal physician and beloved friend. Luke used his talent to serve God kind of like a medical missionary in our day. And ladies, I imagine he could have made more money by staying in his hometown, right, and having his own personal practice. But instead, he received the joy and delight of being the Apostle Paul's personal physician. Is God calling you to use your talents and gifts for the benefit of somebody else? Is he calling you to make less money but make more fruit for the kingdom? Is he calling you to use your gifts as an open door for sharing the gospel? Maybe it's your musical talent. Maybe some crafts you can make, cooking, gardening, or your gift of hospitality. And last but not least, I'm sorry to save Demas for last, but Paul did. Demas was the man with a sad future. I pray none of us will be a Demas forsaking Christ and the saints because of a love for the world. But ladies, it happens to many, and more than likely, it's going to happen to somebody in this room. Do you feel today a tug of war going on inside, one tug for righteousness, the things of God, and the other tug for unrighteousness and the things of this world? Ladies, don't give in to Satan. Stand fast in the Lord and the power of his might. Eight men, eight partners of Paul, all with different strengths, all with different weaknesses. Yet, at one time, every one of them was a blessing to the Apostle Paul. They were heroes, perhaps hidden, hidden, but nonetheless, they were heroes, great service to the Apostle Paul and to the kingdom. With that in mind, I want to leave you a challenge from John Wesley. So excellent. He penned it better than I could. Do all you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people that you can, as long as ever you can. Let's pray. Again, Father, I just thank you so much for Paul's helpers in the ministry. We look at this man, we look at all the epistles that he has left for us, all the times that he was suffering in prison and beaten and shipwrecked and the pain of the church, the daily care that he had for the churches and the concern that they would go back to Judaism and go to Gnosticism. And Lord, I just, I thank you for this man, for his passion. Thank you for those who helped him. 
I thank you that one day we will get to meet him along with these other men, except Demas, unless towards the end of his life he became a believer, but we don't have any written history of that. But, Father, we just we thank you, and we pray that each one of us will desire to use our spiritual gifts and our talents for the kingdom. Lord, that we would be busy about your kingdom. The time is short. And, Lord, we certainly see that our world is becoming more and more evil. It's getting worse and worse every day. But, Father, we don't want to follow the crowd to do evil. We want to do your will. We want to stand fast, perfect and complete, for this is your will. Guide us as we go into our groups, and I pray that we would um, be honest, transparent, seek help from one another. Bring us back next week for our final lesson as we have a great time looking at Paul's final words to this church that was caught up in dangerous heresy. And, Lord, we look forward to that. Thank you for this epistle that he wrote. Guide us now as we talk and share. For the Savior's sake, I pray. Amen.